The reading for today is taken from the letter to the Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 1 to 24. Concerning married life. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Concerning change of status. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. 
Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Well done, Hugh. <laughs> Bit of a marathon reading, but I hope you agree we're not shirking the difficult passages. As vicar, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm giving them to myself. Uh, although I have to say, my emotions this week, as some of the staff and others will know, uh, could probably be described as gloom and anxiety. As I read this passage and thought, what on earth am I going to say about it? And um, similar emotions, I have to say, to uh, West Ham supporters everywhere, uh, but also our country, even our world at this time. I'm sure you agree, and there's lots of reasons for that, aren't there? Whether it's the cost of living crisis, repeated viruses doing the rounds that have affected virtually us all over recent weeks, of course, the war in Ukraine, the strikes, the crisis in the NHS, and the like. Now, I'm not going to preach on any of those things today. I can't solve any of them either. But what I do know is that how we feel about them to a large degree, and certainly how we respond to them, does lie within our control, to a large degree at least. Because perspective is a very powerful thing. And that's really what I want to bring you today, using the principles in this passage. Perspective transforms our experience whether we enjoy life, and frankly, whether we cope with it, especially with its challenges and its opportunities. It's one of the benefits of counselling. That's why it's so good that Connect Counselling exists. Counselling unlocks potential in people. It allows them to get that perspective on life and to be able to cope and thrive in it again. And it's also what the Bible brings us. It may be 2,000 years old, but it is alive through the Holy Spirit. And it can bring us that perspective that we need. That's why it's relevant to us today, even if I've got to do a little bit of work to help it to be so. And here's the thing. The early church... The people that that letter was actually written to, Paul himself, had every reason to be miserable. Do you agree? You don't need to have a degree in history to know that life was pretty tough in first century, or anywhere, frankly, but certainly in the Roman Empire. They were poor. They were persecuted. They were powerless. And yet they still found the peace, the positive thinking, and the perspective 
they needed. So if they could do that with all that they faced, well, so too surely can we. All we need to do is find out what made them tick, find out what the big picture was for them, absorb that into our own lives, and we too can be set free so that gloom and anxiety is not our dominant emotion, but we can see life and see the world as God sees it. So that's what we're doing today. And I'm not going to get into the detail completely, which might be a disappointment to some, but it's not to me, I have to say. I'm going to be at a high level, extracting out those principles so that we can apply them universally to all of our situations, because we're not all struggling with all of the issues that that passage is specifically about. But I want to ask you before I really get into it, what is your goal for this year? Now, we could have asked that last week, but it's still the beginning of 2023. What's your goal? Ponder it. Now, I'm not going to ask you all, but I wanted you to think about it. And I want to share what my goal is for you as your pastor. It's that for each of you, this year, you would grow in your relationship with God. For discipleship, as we often call it, is actually the key to everything. Get that right, and we can deal with all of our challenges. We can seize our opportunities, because we will be close to God. And we will see things through his eyes, and we will tackle them through his wisdom with the help of the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we need. We all need to grow. And if we do that, well, we can be confident this year. And actually, I think the commitment to growing actually underlies the whole of this letter. In fact, the whole of the New Testament itself. And we can see that right at the beginning. You might remember back in October when we began the series, Paul began his letter to the Church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Becoming holy, that is growth. That's what we're called to do. And then Paul, in chapter 4, he talks about how he is a role model, a mentor to the Corinthians and by implication to us, and says, imitate me. As he, of course, imitates Jesus. And as Timothy, he says, who he's sent to them, helps them to do that. Putting to practice the teaching that he has given them. So that we would see things through God's eyes. And see our way through tricky situations. So we grow by learning from Paul. Learning from Jesus. Learning from the other apostles. Learning from their teaching following their example, following the best examples around us here today as well. And that way, we can find that freedom and that peace that we need. Now, so far in the series, I'm sure you agree, we, we've seen that the Corinthians have made a lot of mistakes, haven't we? It's not a perfect church by any means. It's not, it's not like the church in Philippi who, you know, we just need to follow them. In Corinth, there were lots of things that Paul felt he needed to raise with them. And chapters 1 to 6 really reflect his concerns. Things he'd heard about them, 
which he felt burdened to address and challenge and change. But actually, from this point onwards in the letter, he's responding to questions that they have asked him. It's clear that they've written to Paul with some clear questions, and here he starts to tackle them. And so that means that one of their questions must have been where he begins. And the reason for asking these questions is because they recognize that they are called to be holy. They recognize that they are called to grow. Paul has obviously taught them that when he's started that church and discipled them. And so in the context that they lived, which as we've discovered was a very immoral culture, a very, very secular or pagan culture, one that was deeply challenging to be a Christian in. In the light of that, they've asked him for wisdom and guidance in how they can best fulfill the call to be holy and to grow that God has placed on their lives. So their first question might surprise you, but it's in that context, and it's, should a person get married? And it's asked and answered, not because they doubted the value of marriage, but because they knew that following the call of God and living wholeheartedly for him was more important still. That is the overriding goal. And they just want to know how to wisely follow it and fulfill it. In such a challenging and hostile culture, is marriage one distraction too many, they're wondering, which reflects their own commitment to growth and fruitfulness, as modelled by Paul. And he had asked the same question of himself. It's why he begins his answer with, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And he's not saying that sex is bad or against the will of God. And the The verses that follow make that really clear. Paul, in his time, was completely modern and forward-thinking. He's talking about the pleasure that men and women, note, give to each other. That this is something to benefit everyone. Paul is very, very modern in his time. He's not saying sex is bad. But he knew in his own life that actually not being married, which is what he's talking about here, gave him freedom to travel around to plant churches to visit them to cope with the persecution that came his way which was not just the inconvenience of having to travel it was things like going to prison being beaten being shipwrecked being bitten by snakes and the like and Sophie will talk about what he gave up and how that freedom was so important to him next week but whilst that was good for him And clearly good for others that God was calling to particularly challenging lives of service. Paul affirms that both marriage and singleness are good. Verse 26, beyond our passage, he says this, Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Which is why back in our passage in verse 7, he says, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now this gift could be what seems to be for Paul a lack of desire for marriage. It wasn't something that he was desperate to do, it seems. He was able to cope with being single and the challenges that that brought But for others, 
That gift might be not being married, not by choice, but through circumstance. But here's where the rubber hits the road. Paul is saying that in either case, it's a gift. It's a gift if it's the freedom of singleness. It's a gift if it's the companionship of marriage. But whatever situation we're in, choose to embrace it and not begrudge it, making the very most of the advantages that it brings. And so that's why my title today is Grow as you are. It was actually suggested by Stefan, our church warden, when we looked at this passage together as ministry coordinators this week. But it sums up what Paul is urging everyone to do. Grow as you are. Grow in the situation that you're in. And I think that's a great strapline, frankly, for us the whole of this year. Now, verse 5 gives us a hint that prayer is important. Self-control is important because temptation is a reality and we ought to heed that. It's not easy to grow in a culture as ours like theirs is today. It doesn't follow God's values. There is so much that can lead us astray. We need to pray. We need self-control. We need each other. But growing as we are is possible And it's what we're called to do. Now, I want to apply that now, just for a few minutes, into different situations. I've talked about being single and married. But actually, some of us are married to those who are not yet believers. That's not an uncommon situation. And Paul has clearly said in this passage that though we may not have chosen that scenario for ourselves... Though it's hard and may bring conflict and tension. For Paul, the benefits for children and for the unbelieving partner are tangible and real if the spouse is eager, is willing to stay. And if you doubt that, reflect on verse 14. So what does growing in a divided marriage look like? It means praying every day for our spouse and our children and believing that our love and witness can have a huge impact for good. Just as, of course, it can in a fully Christian marriage too. Don't spend your whole time wishing you weren't in that situation. Rather, thank God for the opportunity for influence it brings. So that's one application. Here's another, verses 17 to 19. Now, it's about Jews and Gentiles in its context, and I don't think we've got anyone Jewish in this congregation, and frankly, that's not our issue. But if we broaden it out, I think it's a little bit more relevant. If it's broadened to religious background more generally. For the issue with the early church was when the first generation of Gentile Christians became Christians, they felt inadequate. They didn't have that knowledge of the scriptures They didn't have that heritage of prayer and holiness. And many of them felt second-class Christians as a result. But Paul will hear none of it. And just imagine how affirming it must have been for his Corinthian Gentile readers to hear this great Jewish apostle saying these things. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them. 
Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. And here's the key bit. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now, of course, every Gentile man has very real physical reasons for being grateful for that teaching. I certainly do. That's one significant barrier to conversion removed. But I wonder whether we also need to hear that affirmation more generally. Because the thing is, in a time of gloom and anxiety more, uh, in particular, we often look for reasons of feeling inadequate, reasons to feel dissatisfied, a justification for apathy, in which we tend to so often focus on what we don't have rather than what we do, in which the grass is always greener on the other side, and we rob ourselves of joy and contentment as a result. For some of us, that might be our background and heritage. Maybe we're not from a Christian family. Maybe we wish we'd been a Christian for longer. Maybe we wish our spouse was. Maybe we wish we had the Bible knowledge or the spiritual experiences or, or um, spiritual gifts or roles that others have. Or even the health or youth that they have. But Paul says, it doesn't matter. All that matters is keeping God's commands. Growing as you are. Not drifting along aimlessly, wishing you were someone else. So that's a second application. Here's a third. And I want to summarize this as economic. We heard some teaching there about slaves as well, didn't we? Now, we often think about slavery with sort of 18th century slavery in the Americas in mind. Slavery in Roman times was not necessarily like that. If you read, say, Robert Harris's um, Cicero novels, you'll see that his slave, Tiro, was a very gifted man who uh, had a lot of freedom. But the one thing that slaves, even in Roman times, did not have was control of their economic lot. Something that, frankly, many of us can relate to, too. Whether it's frustration with our employers whether it's the rapid increase in cost of living or any other financial hurdle or anxiety we face. So when Paul writes, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. And then talks about how actually slaves are free in Christ. He's saying a number of important things. To slaves, gain your freedom if you can. But to everyone, he's saying that don't be defined by the limitations economically or in any other way that you face. But remember that you are free. You are precious. You are perfect. And you have everything you need because of what Jesus has given you. So don't look for your peace and joy and contentment in those things that you don't have. But find them in him. So there we have it. A call to grow as we are. And to embrace, not begrudge, our circumstances. 
and to do it with our hearts set on the kingdom because of our love for the king. May that be our perspective that you take into this new year with all the challenges, but also the opportunities that that brings. Amen. Now we're going to move into that time of ministry now, so if the band could come up. I'm going to read to you some words that the Prayers for Healing team shared, felt God gave to them before the service. Now again, I want you to take these very seriously and ask yourself, is God speaking to you? So two members of the group saw a balloon tethered to the ground until released by the Holy Spirit to fly free and not be deflated. Is that what you need? Are you like that balloon? Another had a picture of oaks of righteousness with tree roots interlaced and holding each other up. Is that what God's calling you to be once again? Another received this word, this, this verse from Scripture. Do not be anxious. God can give you the peace that you need. And another had this verse, not by might, not by power, nor by power, but by my spirit. So we're going to have a team available to pray at the back. I invite you to stand now. So the call is to grow as you are. Is to let go of that greener grass on the other side. And it's to choose to thank God for the situation you're in. And to ask him to set you free. To embrace that. To find your peace in it. And to thrive in it. And to do it knowing that you are dearly, truly, completely loved by God. So as we sing the song the band are going to lead us in now. At any point, I encourage you to just go to the back where the prayer team are available. And bring to them whatever you would like prayer for. Into those things that we've thought about or with any other healing that you need from him. So let's sing, let's respond, and let's allow God to minister to us.